Okay, let's, uh, before we turn to God's word, let's open with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we rejoice in Jesus Christ. We, our hearts are moved more than that, dear Father. Our, our souls are, are grounded in the work of Jesus Christ, in what he has done and who he is right now sitting at thy right hand, dear Father, the man Jesus Christ, who is now lifted up high up, exalted, and we know by faith that he will be one day exalted for all the world to see. And as we've just sung, every knee will bow. Everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, dear Father. And it is uh, so comforting, so reassuring, and so convicting now to worship Jesus, to, to lift him up. Dear Father, we thank thee for this time we have that we can read thy word together, uh, even by this medium, uh, the internet over the internet, dear Father. And we know that even this is under thy control and uh, within thy power. Uh, so we would pray that the, the meeting would go smoothly, that the technology would not hinder uh, the message going out, um, the, the sharing, the encouragement uh, of, of believers, dear Father. But we know uh, that any circumstance you may face, even the ending now of this uh, this call, even if things were to, uh, the technology was not to cooperate, dear Father, we know thy spirit transcends. Thy spirit is uh, not limited by any earthly circumstance, none whatsoever, dear Father, and it is reassuring to know that. We thank thee for this, dear Father, as we open thy word, we, we pray for uh, receptive hearts, for a, a willing tongue and mind to speak it, dear Father, we wish to honor Thee through Thy Son this hour. We pray this in His name. Amen. So in um, last week's sermon, Brother Edmund related something. Uh, maybe my memory is not... Um, perfect, but I remember him relating something about someone grumbling that the Christian's answer to, to everything is Christ. Um, that, that no matter what the situation is, it seems that Christians always uh, bring up Christ in some ways. And it was, I guess it was said in a, in a sort of a, maybe a sneering way or a, maybe a cynical way in the sense of uh, wow, this is all that, that Christians have. This is their, their one-word answer. And it kind of reminded me a little humorously of that old trick that we uh, learned in, in Sunday school, that if in doubt, if you don't know the, the answer to the question the teacher's asking, the, the answer is usually Jesus. And then while that's maybe a little bit uh, humorous, it's fundamentally true. And the, the observation that that individual made, as Brother Ed, Edmund related, is fundamentally true for us as Christians. The answer to every question, uh, every question, is Christ. He is relevant uh, to every question. He has the power in every situation, and he is supreme over everything. And that's why he is the answer to every question. And those that would sneer at Christians' repetitiveness, as it were, that that may turn them off don't realize this. They don't understand this. They don't see Christ as who he really is. And that's the, the hymn we sang uh, today was uh, this, uh, for the opening of service reminded us of that. I'm just going to 
open it. Hopefully I have it here on my computer. Um, 190. I should have brought up my hymn book. Here we go. Jesus reigns, let us adore him. All that lives doth bow before him. God lays all things at his feet. Every tongue shall be confessing. Jesus Christ as Lord professing. Honor him as it is meet. So, I think all of our real problems, all of our real um, difficulties stem from forgetting this answer, stem from forgetting that Christ is the answer to every question. He is the one that is at, at the root of every dilemma. So calamities like this pandemic and uh, other situations on a personal level, on a global level, will arise, but those are not the real danger for you as an individual, for each one of us collectively. That's not the real danger. We may think that is the case, but the real danger is if we forget or neglect or lose our faith in Jesus in this in these situations as they arise. Um, that's the truth that my grandparents learned in situations that were far worse than this current uh, pandemic. Uh, their situation, their experience in, in World War II was uh, one of losing everything, of being separated and torn apart as a family, um, going through physical hardship uh, where, where uh, parents... Uh, died of starvation, basically, and um, uh, children uh, were, were, were uh, fading away to nothing before their very eyes. And the, the lesson they learned is through that was to find Jesus uh, through that situation. And um, that, to me, brings reminds me that, that the World War II, whatever the situation may have been, whatever the situation we're facing right now, the real danger is if we would go through a situation and not see Jesus as the answer to it. That's the real danger. And that's why uh, this morning, uh, what led me, um, those that kind of line of thinking, led me to Colossians chapter 1. So I think, like with the Lord's help, to read Colossians chapter 1, the entire chapter. So I don't know, Brother Edmund, if you can bring it up on the screen, or... Um, um, whether those at home, everyone has their Bible in front of them, but they can follow along here. And it's, it's always good, as we've been, been reminded before, to have your Bible open as we meditate on it, uh, so that even if um, the, 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 the brother who's speaking is not um, addressing a particular passage, the Holy Spirit can bring something else to your mind in that passage, a particular section of a passage, sorry. So, uh, the Epistle of Paul, the Apostle to the Colossians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ.' 
who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and indivisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom... God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I've read the entire chapter. So, this is a lengthy chapter we have here, um, but not a long book. And um, I encourage you, if you have the time today, and, uh, and you likely do, is to read the entire book or read the entire letter here to get the full context of uh, the passage that we've just read and to see how Paul addresses a group of people whom he has never met, a church that he did not plant, 
but with for whom he has a great burden. And that burden is that they would know Christ, that they would understand Christ and who he is, all of who he is. And that is my burden through the Spirit for, for all of you, brothers and sisters and friends, this morning, that you would know Christ, the fullness of Christ, who he is, and that you would see he is really the answer to every question in every circumstance, particularly um, now in this circumstance. So, uh, as I mentioned, the context of this this letter is uh, Paul writing from prison. So, if you, if you flip to the chapter 4 here, you can see um, that indeed, um, uh, last verse there, remember my bonds. So, he is indeed in prison. And uh, as the beginning of the first chapter, he do, at the end of the first chapter, he does reference that he is uh, suffering for them and he is filling up what is behind of the afflictions of Christ for the body. So Paul is writing this in prison. That gives us some perspective too. This is a man that is physically shut in um, a confined space. I don't know if it would be bigger or smaller than our houses, but he cannot... Um, take a walk like we can take at this point. Uh, he cannot go to the store uh, if, if he needs to, like we can at this point. He is really shut in. He is really quarantined. And he could have a, a choice to despair in this circumstance. He could have a choice to um, sit back, as it were, to look at all the work that he's done as a church planter, as, a, as an apostle, as a servant of, of, of God, and to think it's time to pass the torch. It's time, um, we're just gonna, I'm going to sit this one out a little bit. I think God just wants me to rest here a little bit. And he doesn't do that. I mean, you can see there's so much of the New Testament uh, letters uh, written from by this brother from prison. He is not uh, limited in any way because he sees Christ as the answer for his situation. That's why he's able to share with the Colossians from prison this amazing, this letter, you know, um, it strikes me that this is a letter to people he, he's never met, he, he doesn't know particularly, his really only knowledge of them, uh, I would believe, is from this report, from Epaphras, this, this probably the brother who planted the church in Colossae, uh, who visited Paul in prison, and, and uh, verse 7, you know, he declared um, what was the state of the Colossians, and probably Epaphras was sharing some of the concerns, as we see Paul addresses some particular heresies and problems in chapter 2 that the Colossians had uh, of um, maybe some sort of mysticism or worship of angels um, or a legalism, uh, kind of leaning back towards Judaism. So what strikes me from this letter is that Paul doesn't know these people personally, hasn't seen them face to face, and yet the letter is not cold, it's not formal, it's not a um, uh, just a series of... of, of um, doctrinal teachings there there are a lot there is a lot of doctrine as we've covered here in the first chapter but it is um it is full of um of joy of grace of a of a common spirit that he is hoping to stir up in his listeners and that's why he can pour out love and joy and wisdom in in a letter that to people that he's never met so take a moment to think about that as you sit in your house um these next few weeks, or however long it may be, through the Spirit of Christ, you can abound 
you can more than abound. You can uh, be fruitful in a way that will go beyond your life, even in this time, even here and now. Paul certainly was. We have the same spirit. We worship the same God. Don't give in to despair. Don't um, think, well, now this is a little time where we don't have to go all out to, to you know do so much church visiting. We can take it a little bit easy. Maybe we can uh, indulge in a bit more entertainment or, or things that will take our mind off this, the current situation. Um, I don't think that's where Christ wants you to be. He wants you to be fruitful even in this time, as Paul is. Um, we can see that the, the beginning of chapter 2. Let's just read the first verse here. For I would that ye knew what great conflict, and, and the word here, I have a little footnote here, could also mean fear or concern. What great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So we may have a fear about um, our fellowship with each other. Uh, how is it going to survive this time of not seeing each other in the flesh? Will we care as much about each, uh, each other? Will we um, uh, love uh, gathering together as much uh, with each other as this is all after this is all over? Um, but we can see the spirit that was in Apostle Paul triumphs over that. His, his, his yearning for them was that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here's the amazing thing, brothers and sisters. During this time, we can go deeper into the mystery of Christ, the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This time we can become more fruitful. In this time we can abound in love towards each other. Same to you, my friend outside of Christ. In this time, while you're sitting at home, you can come to know Christ in a way that you never have before. You can open your eyes to see his sufficiency for you in every circumstance. You can open yourself by humbling yourself to him and receiving the wonder and the joy of his salvation. Because this first chapter that we've read, uh, Paul goes right into it and he sets the stage uh, of who Christ is. Christ is, is first our Savior. Verses 13, 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Uh, down to verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in heaven or, earth, or things in earth, so on and so forth. First and foremost, Christ is your Savior. And I think... Uh, my mind... I can't express all of the things that, that that means to me. And I hope, uh, brother and sister, you who claim and know Christ, I hope you have that same feeling is, is not really the word, um, but that same experience and that same conviction that, that, that Christ as your Savior is so much more to you than you can express. That first hymn we sang, I bow before love's power and ending. That overwhelming sense of all that has been done for you. 
your sin being washed away, your uh, all of your wrong thinking, all the things you've done that to hurt other people, all the all the things that you've done that hurt yourself, all the things that you've done that dishonor and disrespect and hurt God, all those things are washed away in Christ. He is your Savior. And it was a unilateral action in the sense of He did it. He accomplished it. He translated. He he delivered. He saved. Our our part is to believe in that. Is to believe in that action, that, that unilateral action that Jesus has done. He offered up. While we were still enemies, he offered up himself. He gave himself. He died on the cross physically. And Paul is, is careful to really underline that here, the blood of his cross, uh, to, to, um, through redemption through his blood, to really point to the fact that it was a physical death. There was a physical man, Jesus, who gave his physical life for you as the basis of your salvation. And um, you and I need to believe that. We're invited to believe that about Christ, first and foremost, that he is your Savior. Uh, that second verse that we read, in, in that we sang in, in uh, 190 here, how does it go? Only through his mediation, wondrously we have salvation, by his pain and sorrow one. Lo, here is life's revelation, our eternal reclamation. Reclamation meaning we've been reclaimed. Our eternal reclamation is declared by God's own Son. So, sinner outside of Christ, you've got to acknowledge you're a sinner and then acknowledge Christ as Savior, as the one that can reclaim you from your current state. And that's that's glorious. Um, it stirs the heart of every everyone who knows Christ, who has experienced that salvation. And I pray uh, this day it would stir your heart too, that you would realize that is the salvation that's being held up and offered to you. That is the the fundamental truth that maybe these believers in in Colossians were slipping away from, getting confused about, which we need to be reminded of. Christ is our Savior. Another other thing in this this passage here, this uh, which is amazing about Christ is the supremacy of Christ. Verses 15 and 16 and 17. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, Jesus is God in a knowable form. God is ultimately invisible in the sense that he is not knowable by mortal flesh. Uh, there is such a gap and such a distance between us and him. Uh, the, the Old Testament was very careful and very clear to, to lay that out so the children of Israel would understand God's holiness, his separation, his, his, um, the distance that was between him and fallen sinful man. But Jesus is the image, is God himself in a visible form. So that is the the other thing that Paul emphasizes in this passage. Um, and, you know, invisible here doesn't mean in the sense of, well, it's, it's, it's microscopic or we, you know, just, we just have to blow it up big enough when we can't and, and then we can see it. No, invisible in the sense of spiritual, in, in a way that we will never be able to uh, understand with our, our physical sense and physical abilities we will never be able to comprehend God, but we can, through the believing in the physical Jesus Christ, the one who physically came and died and walked on this earth, gave physical words that he preached and taught, we can know the invisible God through Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. Um, 
he, he goes on and, and, and he says, By him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. So things I can't even conceive of. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. Things that I have no idea of. Spiritual realms. He created everything and all things. So it wasn't that Jesus was, well, first created as a sort of demigod and then the rest of creation proceeded. No, he created all things. He is God. Jesus is supreme. That's why he's relevant to every situation. He is the the progenitor, the one who created it, who set it up in the first place, who understands all its ramifications, all the possibilities of every situation. That's why he is always relevant to every situation. Not only that, he created all things, but Jesus, by him, all things consist. And and that word consist means are held together. It's it's the, the glue that holds everything together. If it was not for Christ, everything would fly apart, It would everything would not exist, and everything would not continue to exist. Don't you see the supremacy of Christ in every situation for all time? And then Paul moves on from there in a beautiful way to now identify Christ as the head of the church. Not only has he is the Savior, the one who has delivered from death, as we sang in the third verse of that uh, that uh, 190, grave, where is thy victory? But then verse 4 here, which we didn't sing. Nor does his dear church so holy have these gracious blessings solely. She has him as head who lives. With his blood the Savior bought her. As his heavenly bride he sought her. And she lives for she believes. Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the church in the sense of a head of a river, the the start of it, the beginning of it, the firstborn of it, and he is the head of the church in the sense of the head of my body, as Paul says in in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, He is the one that that gives the commands, that, that, that enables the functioning of the body, that directs it as he will. So Christ is supreme over all creation, in a way that sadly, um, one part of creation, humanity, the majority of it, do not acknowledge. But he is also the head of the church, of those that believe him as Savior. The last thing I think maybe we can notice about Christ here is that he is in us. He's not remote. Verse 27. To whom, uh, us, this is, we're included here, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us. That makes things even more relevant. That gives his power and his preeminence and his supremacy a new, uh, new perspective. His power is manifested in me, in me, not just exterior to me, not in controlling my circumstances, but within me. That's what what uh, God wants me to realize and believe, that Christ is in me as I believe in him. So, yes, Christ is the answer to every question. He is the abiding presence that is always relevant to everything. Um, you know... This is not a ridiculous statement, and, and some people, sadly, um, 
through maybe immaturity or, or not fully understanding God's will and purpose in their lives, may apply this in a ridiculous sort of way and think, well, um, you know, Christ is um, the one that is the determiner of every little decision I make. You know, what, what sort of breakfast cereal should I have? And uh, uh, silly things like that. But really, every circumstance. So in the case of, of breakfast cereal, the decision there is not, well, should it be Cheerios or, or, or Wheaties or whatever it is. It should be, the choice should be in that <laughs> this daily decision is, am I going to honor and glorify Christ even in as I eat this cereal? Am I going to acknowledge him as the supreme one who allowed the seasons to roll by and uh, the, the, the grain to grow from the ground and that all to arrive in my bowl that I'm now eating? Or um, even in whatever work you do. So um, say if I'm doing some engineering calculation, um, you know, Christ is not the answer to the calculation in the sense of I look to him and, 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 and as I'm doing the calculation, well, what is the answer? I do definitely call on his name at times when I'm I'm struggling to understand something. But the way I do that calculation or, or I do that task or that job, am I honoring Christ as my ultimate boss, as the one who uh, I will ultimately give an account to, as, as the one I am laboring for, the real uh, owner that I'm doing this work for, the real owner of everything. So he really is the answer in every situation. And he is the answer in this pandemic too, and he's not the answer in a in a totemic sort of way, in a in a sort of um, a clutching of a of a, a token or some good luck charm that 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 if I do the right things or if I do certain uh, devotions, Christ is going to keep me from being uh, to, from from getting this this virus. That is not how Christ wishes to display Himself in you. Many Christians have died in many pandemics in the past. You may very well get this virus. You may very well struggle. There may be, in our midst, brothers and sisters, uh, friends that pass away from this. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ in this situation is... Look at the example of the Christians who died in those, in those many previous pandemics. They died serving. They died helping. They died... Um, doing the things that other people wouldn't do. They died, uh, they, they set up the institutions that, that actually had an effect that maybe stemmed the tide, tide uh, of past uh, uh, diseases and, and uh, things like that. They were c- concerned and care- caring for their fellow man. That is the answer. Christ is the answer in this pandemic situation. It's not a, a clutching of, of a, a crucifix, as it were, or a, uh, some sort of religious um, exercise that will, will keep me safe. But it is asking, how do you want me to be like you, Christ, in this situation? How do you want me to to pray, to live, to work in this situation? Jesus is the answer for our suffering. He is the answer for our temptation, maybe to compromise uh, in situations like this. For our any and all of our moral deficiencies, he is even the answer for uh, family relationships that may be strained in this time of being together in close quarters for a long time. So we, as uh, ministers, um, share, and and we did this past week, uh, about different concerns and and the needs that are in the congregation. And uh, as as the brothers share, it can be overwhelming at times. You think, well, there are so many needs. There are so many different situations in our own church. Um, and it's just because we are not unique. We are human beings. We 
we have the same frailties and, and foibles and, and, and sad to say, Satan is at work here as he is elsewhere. And you could become, we could all become overwhelmed with, with uh, the needs we have. But the answer is always the same. It's Christ. This, back to this hymn number 190, verses 5 and 6. All your hearts to him surrender. All your burdens to him tender. Tell him every care and need. In his wounds find your restoring. He, the balm of grace, is pouring. Endless riches gives indeed. Haste then. Shame and care, oh, leave it. Seek ye grace, tis yours, receive it. Seek ye life, pray him who lives. Sinners, you he justifieth. Grace to no one he denieth. Everlasting gain he gives. So, my friend, the seeking soul who is frustrated and maybe sorrowing over your sin, over your brokenness, over your inability to, to do right, Christ is the answer. My friend, the new convert who is struggling in your walk with, with, with the Lord, who may be um, wondering where the zeal is and, and your hunger for God's word, Christ is the answer. Look to him and live. Uh, my brother or sister who is, who is uh, worrying about wasted years, fruitless years, that you look back and wonder, how, how can the Lord uh, redeem this? Am I going to pay a price for this going forward? Christ is the answer to that. He's the answer to that concern, that, that, that burden that you bear. Read that verse 5 again. My seasoned brother and sister who struggle with getting along or forgiving or um, caring for your brother and sister, respecting your brother and sister. Christ is the answer to that too. He died for your brother and sister. You are his child. They are your children. They are his children too. He, uh, there's so much in this chapter. I mean, we we read it. I, I've zoomed over it at a high level here. Just Yesterday I was meditating on it with, with my wife and verses 9 and 10 here bear some thinking about too. Let's just read that those again, verses 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see that? It's a circle. It started with with knowledge in the sense of, 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 of being filled with knowledge and then having that knowledge work out in, in a, and walking worthy and being fruitful in every good work and in so doing, increasing in the knowledge of God and knowing Him more. This beautiful circle uh, is something that needs to happen in our lives. It's not a matter, brother and sister, of orthodoxy, of us just checking off the boxes and saying, yes, we have the right doctrine, we understand who Christ is, uh, we, we're not like all those other cults, etc., etc. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God by walking worthy of Him, by being fruitful in every good work? Because that's the way that you're going to increase in the, in the real, the true knowledge of the Lord. Um, other thing here, if you keep going here, verse 11, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. 
So when we talk about Christ having power and being supreme, he certainly has the power to change circumstances, to control all circumstances. He is upholding all things. But the apostle chooses not to highlight that aspect of his power here, but to highlight that power that works in us for all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So, my brother and sister, if you can get excited about that, about Christ working in you patience and working in you long-suffering, rather than getting excited about him changing the circumstances, maybe then you're starting to grow in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Christ in you, working in you and informing you, conforming to the, the image of Christ. I think we're just about out of time here. Um, I thought maybe it would be suitable to close with a little thought on this is actually Palm Sunday. <laughs> we may not really uh, realize it. Uh, uh, we were sitting at the breakfast table this morning and and, uh, and looked at the, the calendar. Yes, indeed, it is Palm Sunday. It's Easter next um, next week. And Palm Sunday is so-called because of... Um, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, as you remember, the, the triumphal entry where um, the whole multitudes, it said, uh, they, were, they were strewing their... He, they, he uh, was riding a donkey to fulfill scripture, particular scripture, and they strewed their coats before him and they broke branches, palm branches off, and they welcomed him with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is an echo. It's interesting. If you read the back, it's an echo of Psalm 118, which is just before that, those those verses um, are the passage about the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. And amazing how the Bible is all tied together and how out of the mouths of babes, as it were, or, or um, unwittingly, this multitude were echoing and were pointing to this very scripture that, that showed the nature of Christ's salvation. But there is another Palm Sunday. There is a Palm Sunday in Revelation 7. Maybe we can close by reading that and thinking about it. And maybe just considering those two Palm Sundays. And which one are you involved in? Which which response are you giving? So, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, 9 and 10. After this I beheld... And lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. I'm not curious. Why would that be? I don't know for sure, but I think some of the symbolism is, is tying in. Palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So the, the nature even of the of the crying, the same sort of crying, acknowledging of, of a Savior, of one who is coming to save, and here he has accomplished that salvation. So this is the difference between those two Palm Sundays. You think about that first Palm Sunday, that multitude, very many of them either turned on Jesus in the week that followed, were part of the mob that shouted crucify him, or deserted him, ran away, as his disciples all did. Uh and you can think about the garments that they strew on the ground uh, as he walked, uh, as he rode into, into Jerusalem on a donkey. Versus here in this Palm Sunday, the garments which the Lamb has clothed them in. It's a beautiful passage here in Revela- Revelation 7. The, 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 one of the elders answered, saying unto me, 
which are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence come that came they? And I said unto him, John saying, I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the difference between that first Palm Sunday and this second Palm Sunday, which I pray that each one of us are part of. The second Palm Sunday when we can be clad in garments that have brought us through righteousness, uh, that have brought us through great tribulation, through difficult circumstances that have allowed us to know truly the Savior, to understand his supremacy and His uh, all he is to us. We can either be with that 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 uh, that flaky mob, that uh, that that multitude that quickly turned on him as they welcomed him into Jerusalem, or we can be part of this group of the saved who are welcomed into his presence, before the Lamb and before the throne to honor him. Which one are, are you part of? Do you want to know Christ? Do you want to see him as the answer to everything in every circumstance? Now going forward I pray that uh, the Lord would put this on your heart and he would convict you and he would show you Christ that you would know him I think maybe if we could close with singing Zion's harp number 282 uh, verses 1 2, 4, 9 and 12 I'll repeat those as we go along 1, 2, 4, 9 and 12 Zion's harp 282 and then after that, could I ask a brother to, to pray? I haven't, didn't ask a brother beforehand, but if one of you feels so led, give me a second as I go downstairs.